This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, GoPowerCat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, Go Power Cat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. It's another edition of the Powercat Questions Podcast, coming off of Kansas State's 24-7 victory over Stanford, a game that really wasn't that close as the Wildcats took control of that early and never really gave up the control of the point of attack at the line of scrimmage. It was very, very impressive, but far from perfect. And we'll talk about all of it and answer your questions from Wabash Station on this edition of the PowerCat Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Cole Carmody, and Ryan Gilbert from here at the GPC Studios in beautiful suburban Manhattan. Is that accurate? It's beautiful, isn't it, Zach? Yeah. Okay. What you said. Okay. Uh, were you going to say my house isn't beautiful? Not not what I was going to say. Okay. I was questioning suburban. This is suburbia. We're on the outreaches of downtown. <laughs> That's All one right. way of looking far, at it. Far, far right. from the stadium. Out here amongst the peoples. If this was a suburb, what would we name it? Uh... Our, our little we had a development name back in the day. Our, our developments from the late sixties. I mean, uh, Cotton Fitzsimmons lived right across the street from where we're at right now. So it would naturally be Fitz's. Oh yeah, the Fitz development. Fitz World. Fitz World. Guys, that went pretty much the way, way I thought it would. Less scoring overall. I thought there'd be more scoring. I. Saw a lot more from the K-State defense than I expected, but um, I thought it was a great way to start the season. Southern Illinois comes in on Saturday for refill the bill. They're getting close, I think. Getting close. People are fired up. I'm excited to see what questions we have. I did miss out on the um, bourbon. What is it, Wabash Reserve? Is it a bourbon or is it a whiskey? My apologies. It is a whiskey. I don't know the difference. Bourbon is aged in Kentucky in specific type of barrels. It's like champagne? Yes. Okay. Yes, technically, and I've seen it done, but technically I don't believe you're supposed to call any whiskey bourbon unless it was distilled and stored in Kentucky. I believe that is the rule of thumb, even though I've seen others like claim to having a bourbon. I don't know how that works. Maybe it is possible that they have bourbon aged and stored in Kentucky and they bring it for finishing to Colorado or wherever that would be. But this is out of the Boot Hill Distillery in Dodge City, and it's sold out in Manhattan within hours. But if you need some, the fridge is working on securing as much as possible. The fridge wholesale liquor right here near the stadium 
Is it the closest liquor store to the stadium? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Unless the church is secretly selling liquor out of the basement. Yeah, I think it is. I think it would be. Get on into the fridge at the corner of this and that, and the old blockbuster, which kids' movies used to come on tape. Used to have to put it into a little box and watch a movie and rent it on a thing called a VHS tape. Then rewind it when you're done. Rewind it. Oh, I miss those days. Anyhow, let's move on with the PowerCat Podcast. Our segment sponsors are Tanners and the High Low. Stop in whenever you're in Aggieville, and I hope everyone can come to town on Saturday for that game, 6 o'clock kick. So come on down to Aggieville and anywhere you would like to be early on. Get out there and tailgate after you stop at the fridge and buy all your tailgating liquor and beer. No need to haul it to town. We have it right here. See, that rhymed. Here's your questions from Wabash Station. Ryan Gills Gilbert. First question comes from Exhausted Nihilist. How much credit does Coach Kleiman deserve for having this team locked in and ready to play on an opening day at 11 a.m. and having to travel for a quote-unquote home game? How much does he deserve credit? How much credit does Chris Kleiman deserve? Well, a lot, and not because of what you said. I mean, trying to get your team focused for an opener shouldn't be difficult. Sometimes it is. It shouldn't be difficult. I give him credit for totally changing his defensive philosophy. Do you know how, and I asked him about this on Tuesday, how scary that's got to be? All he's ever done is coach four-man fronts. And he looked around the conference and realized, I know I like four-man fronts, but this three-three-five is proving to be effective, and it's been difficult for us to handle. Let's look into it a little bit. Called up a friend in the coaching profession and learned his lessons on that. I love that he won't tell us who it is. <laughs> I just love it. I'm, I'm thinking it's like a, a high school coach or oh, another yeah, Missouri sure. Valley coach or someone that we'd all go, who? You know, we wouldn't know, but um, to to throw away everything you've known in a game of this importance, because he said it was important. I mean, everyone's like, well, I don't know if this game was that important, Fitz, but Chris Kleiman clearly stated it was a really important game for K-State. And to bank on it, and he admitted afterwards he'd spent most of preparation for this game with Joe Klanderman and the defensive staff and let the offense to Courtney Messingham. Now, that runs counterintuitive to what a lot of fans think the problems of the program have been. It's offense, offense, offense. Well, Chris Kleiman thought it was defense, that they weren't getting off the field in a timely manner, and he went out and made some major changes. Uh, I give him an A+. Plus. I mean, that's, that's big time when uh, you're as accomplished as he is as a coach and you go into a season and admit, we need answers beyond my realm of knowledge. So let me go find those. And it paid off. And they played a lot more three, three, five than I think they planned on. But I think he also probably realized how effective this defense is. It is not designed to stop a power run game. In fact, it's kind of the opposite of that. You take a big defensive end off the field for a light linebacker, a small linebacker, and that just runs opposite of what you'd think would happen. But sure as heck stop Stanford's running game. I think what I'm impressed about is just how thorough the preparation seemed. K-State seemed thoroughly prepared to do everything, even with 
bringing in a new defense, a three-man front, something they've never done before, everything just seems so scripted and everything fell right into place how it needed to, to happen. And even when they're up in the second half, it just seemed like they were kind of on cruise control. Not that they didn't have to be, but even when they weren't really moving the ball well, it didn't seem like the game was ever in danger. It still felt K-State had full control of that game all the way until the very end from start to finish. I think what's important to remember too, guys, is the fact that Chris Kleiman, Courtney Messingham, Joe Kleinerman completely outschemed the Stanford coaching staff to the point where it looked like they were never, never in doubt of what Stanford was going to run. They were never in doubt of really what the outcome of the play was going to be. It felt like they confused Jack West and McKee so much, the quarterbacks for Stanford, so much to the point where on defense, those quarterbacks literally were guessing where to throw the football because they had no idea what defense K-State was running. The same can be said for on offense. I felt like, personally, Courtney Messingham had a really good game plan, and I know fans want to complain about the third quarter, but... I'm to the, I'm of the opinion where they didn't need to do anything else. They were controlling the line of scrimmage. And if you look at a lot of what happened in the third quarter, they were picking up yards, but then there'd be a holding call. So the play would come back, and then they would get behind the sticks. If they can get eliminate those penalties on the offensive side, they're, they're going to score more points. And let's not forget that Skylar Thompson threw an interception in the end zone. If they score a touchdown there, they have 31 points, and I don't think anybody's complaining about the offense. To answer the question real quick, the answer for me is no for Kreiman getting any credit for having his team locked in. I mean, the way last season ended, you should you have big problems on your team if your team isn't ready to be to be, you know, locked in for game 1 after a five-game losing streak to end the season. So, I'm not going to give Kreiman much credit, no credit for that. On that same note, he's had all this time to prepare for just Stanford. You know, all the preseason. Now you go week by week. You're going one game at a time and how much how many, how much game plan changes are they going to make week in week out especially going into southern illinois true time okay. will tell okay next question comes from hard times cat and according to zach this is a possible first time question asker i couldn't tell if you've ever been on a podcast so if you haven't welcome if welcome. you have it was only one other time and i think it was like two summers ago so welcome any whom, <laughs> welcome. What would you determine to be the most impressive part of K-State's performance Saturday? Mine was the tackling by the defense. There was less arm tackling. It looked more like the defense of the 90s, mob style. Ooh, I like it. Throwing a little mob reference. Yeah, there, there was very rarely an isolation. Stanford wasn't able to create one-on-one opportunities where, you know, a ball carrier was in an open area. With a tackler very often. I remember one where a K-Stater missed, but that was a rarity when a K-State defender missed a tackle because they had help. I mean, they were so many guys at the point of attack. It was really impressive to watch them run around and gang tackle just as a group. It, it, uh, it had to catch Stanford off guard. That not only did K State come out and defend in a way that they didn't expect, but also rallied to the ball with such you know focus, and they never lost that focus. A lot of times you'll see a team start off really well defensively. They'll get out there and do all that stuff right, and then it seems easy, and they kind of forget what made it look easy. and And the defense never really did. They stayed locked in on the task all through the game. You know, it's almost impossible to stay that way through a whole season. But great defenses find a way to play at that level, and we'll see if if they can. The great news is, and Cole, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, is if they 
if they have guys that stop doing those type of things, they just rush someone else in on the, off the bench. Uh, now we saw Duran McPherson not play a whole lot because of illness, we believe it was, and they were a little thin there. But, yeah, the depth only helps bolster that. If you don't do the right things, you're not going to be out there. Well, the depth, the depth is huge. I mean, they played 56 players in the first half. That's unheard of. It's crazy. It's unheard of. And it felt like every single unit that was out there did not miss a beat. And I asked Coach Kleiman after the game if, you know, how nice is it to be able to rotate players in and out? Not not even just players, but units. I mean, there was times where a whole new defense was on the field that was on the field the drive previous. And that's something that we've sat around at this table and talked about the depth as, okay, well, it's good that you have guys that can play, but how good can they actually be on the field? It doesn't matter who you're playing. If you have depth like that, you're going to be able to compete. And I think that's what, to me, besides, you know, the fact that the offensive line, especially particularly the left side of the offensive line and Cooper Beebe and Josh Revis had two of the best games that I have seen either one of them have in their whole careers at K-State. I think the depth was the most impressive part of Saturday. Zach, only one of us was at field level, and that was you down there shooting. Did it just feel different to you? Yeah, and I mentioned it on Wabash in the thread after, you know, Ask the Staff thread. Uh, When I filmed the game, it looked, at least defensively, I couldn't remember a time where I've had more just straight-up tackles that on plays that went maybe a couple yards, but the tackles were so satisfying that they probably deserve to be in a video if we didn't have less, mm-hmm. you know, if we didn't have more highlights that were, were more than that. Mm-hmm. But there was just a lot of, it, it was satisfying to watch the tackles, uh, the tackles for loss, the sacks, the interceptions. I feel like defensively, I can't remember a time where K-State played this in sync from all aspects of, of defense. Did you say you want K-State to play in sync at the games? I would love to see. I think that's just a weird thing just to throw in the middle of a podcast. I would love to see JT. <laughs> I will say, Zach, that shot of the 50-yard run by Deuce for a touchdown. I need to tweet perfect that. Perfect angle. Yes. I need to tweet that. I've been lazy. Do you have to aim down when Deuce is running? <laughs> I, don't, I don't pay attention. <laughs> I, I have a question for you experts. K-State's weakest position is linebacker. Can we all agree on that? On defense? On defense? Weakest in terms of depth. Why do you want to take – why would you want to put more of those guys on the field and take away your defensive line? Well, I, I can – I'm afraid this might come back and bite them in the behind later in the year. Well, well but I they can they can switch back against to Stanford. it. But the guys aren't linebackers that they're putting out on the field, though. That's the thing. Yeah. When yeah. you have okay. the 3-3-5, they're putting Wayne Jones. They're putting Ryan Hennington. Okay. They're, they're, they're playing a linebacker, but they're really like a safety. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's like a nickel. Thank almost. you, everyone. It's like a dime. They're, a quarter. I mean, they're they're running six D-backs, essentially, yeah. because they've got two converted safeties playing linebacker, and they are lining up in that Sam linebacker spot. What do they call it? A jack? Is that the jack spot? I, I don't understand. I'm, I'm a little confused. I don't understand. Then they refer him to it t- today. Someone called it a Sam linebacker, so I was really confused. But... Um, uh, yeah, I, it it is very counterintuitive to get smaller to stop the run, but that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. But what I like about it is now, if if it's not working, the other team has solved it. They go back to their four man front and their comfort zone and and run that. I I just think it gave Stanford more issues than they imagined. And I'll be blunt here: I'm not sure if this is a defense that's spreading across all of college football or if we're just seeing it here where the spread offenses are. 
Uh, and maybe Stanford really wasn't familiar with, with that because they don't – I mean, mm-hmm. Brian Kelly – not Brian Kelly. That was a totally wrong name. Chip. Yep. Chip. Man. Notre what Dame or UCLA? Happened? Which one do you want? I'm going for UCLA, and Brian just came just like just charging through my brain. Well, because Brian said some stuff. Mm. Oh, I know. Chip Kelly <laughs> runs a spread. You know, Mike Leach was out there doing it, and he's gone now. So I, I just think it caught him totally off guard. And their inability to acclimate to it, to, to adjust, was frightening. If I'm a Stanford fan, I'm like, what is that? So. From Yo Mama, how big was robbing Stanford of a timeout early in the third quarter? David Shaw was losing his mind over it. I don't what. Okay, I know what the, I know what he's talking about. Okay, go ahead. So, so I'm, I know they burn tight time, timeouts early in the third quarter. Yeah, so I I was doing the game on the student radio station, and I, I kind of talked about this because I think the the differences in the NFL and in college football is in college football they have to give you time to substitute and what had happened was Stanford had rushed everybody out on the field brought a completely new unit in well they have to give K-State time to substitute however many people that substituted out and as long as you're moving at what the referees determine a brisk pace there's no flag. But if you're walking off the field, it can be delay of game on the defense. It's a rule that people really don't know. But they don't reset the play clock. So Stanford had to burn a timeout because they rushed three or four people out onto the field. I don't know, I'd say about 20 seconds left on the play clock. And K-State was like, okay, well, we have to have time to substitute. So they just jogged their guys off the field, jogged them back on the field. And they had to call a timeout because there's two seconds left on the play clock before they could even get the snap off. So, yeah, that's what that whole entire situation was about. I want to say that was their first time out in the second half. And it was a pretty big one. Um, I, I think that in the overall arc of the game, I don't know how important it was, but if anything, it was not something that K-State did. It was more of kind of what Stanford didn't do. Yeah, it's a game management thing on that end. And, you know, Coach talked about it today, but if you're going to start substituting, you better get guys in and out and expect that. I mean, Sure. What, what it's these spread offenses that want to shuffle guys in and out, and Stanford's not spread, but and then not let you substitute or not expect you. It's just bizarre. I saw the Louisville coach Satteroff get really fired up about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're the one choosing to run this offense that that puts you in these predicaments, and this is one of the things the defense can do to slow you down. Yeah, Clement talked about that this week, about how it wasn't, you know, you're not doing anything bad. You don't look tired, but if the defense is, or if the offense is subbing out, we're just going to sub somebody out for you. You're not, you're not getting punished. It's just how the game is nowadays. Okay. From TN Cat, will the timeout part, uh, turnout, I got, I got. You, now you're just caught in. Okay. <laughs> will the turnout of the crowd maybe lead to K-State getting invited to a future neutral site kickoff game? Oh, I don't care. I don't think there's any bearing on the crowd. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't care. I think though, if it's any other Pac-12 school, there's probably forty thousand people there, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how this impacts K-State. They they brought twenty five thousand yeah. fans. Yeah. I I think uh, this is a Stanford issue as much as anything. That was that was sad. It was pathetic. I, I, I'm of the theory that the AD is trying to get David Shaw sunk based on what I saw from that schedule and what the, where the team's at. He, he needs a good excuse to fire a very popular coach, but not so popular that people actually go to see him play. 
It's would, a weird world. I, I would love for K-State to go be involved with more of these kickoffs. I mean, I know that they have a, Missouri, a contract with Missouri coming up. I mean, how cool would it be just to move both of those games to Arrowhead? Yep, I agree. I know people got frustrated when they first moved the game, but could you imagine if they moved the game to Arrowhead? You would have Arrowhead sold out, and it's only an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes away from Manhattan. People can easily make the drive. I don't know if that's that's probably out of the question now. But, I mean, if that was a possibility, I think they should do it. I'm not really a fan of doing two games in a row in Arrowhead. No, I'm not either. But Maybe one, but it better not be the K-State home game. And I'd love to bring Missouri in here for them to see what's happened in Manhattan over the last 12 years since they've been gone. It's, It's pretty remarkable how much the stadium's grown up. I'm all for Arlington, Kansas City, but if you're playing on a coast or something where you're not going to have a, a good crowd presence, then I would say no. But if it's somewhere where you can pack 25,000 fans, I'm all for that. So you're no on the Chick-fil-A kickoff. <laughs> Correct. I'm all um, in on the uh, Las Vegas kickoff game. That would actually make sense is to play a game in Vegas that first weekend with a Monday as a holiday. Come on, man. Let's do it. I guess uh, I got a text from someone that said BYU, believe it or not, overran Vegas. Yeah, they do that every what? year. It's just it's a beautiful thing. They played there. They played uh, who? They play there. Arizona. Did Arizona. They? Yeah, they, they beat them. Yep. They go to Las Vegas Bowl quite a bit, and that's what they say. I just it's incredible to me. Are they allowed to gamble? Is that no, I their, doubt it. No, they, just, their, uh, they spend you know. they spend all their money at other. Above board establishments. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they go to shows. I don't know what you do in Vegas if you're that religious. I'm not sure, but there's something for everyone in Vegas, including caffeine. <laughs> From CFID, is Stanford Skyler the Skyler we can expect, or will he improve with more game time and time to get past injury fears? I don't think he has one bit of injury fear yeah. based on his no. touchdown run. His yeah. first one. After the first one, you're just like, all right, we're doing this. So, well, so much for bringing Will Howard in for these types of plays. To- I, I still think they should, though. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm, I still think they should. But go ahead, Fitz. Yeah, it it is interesting. They got through a game without playing him. That makes me think they really are going to try to manage this to get him to four games or fewer. Kleiman said after the game that Will Howard is the best backup quarterback in the country and he will have an impact on the season. If he went so far out of his way to say that his backup sophomore quarterback was the best backup in the country and will have an impact on the season, you can bet your rear end that he's going to be playing next week and probably every single game the rest of the time. Okay. Wow, Four games max. Four games max. He just went all Why would he not play against Stanford then, Mr. Cole? Well, there was really no goal line presence. I mean, he had the one play where Skyler ran in. I think that was a first down, was it not? But first if he's goal? so yeah. good, shouldn't he be there in there more? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's going to happen. I don't know. I think I'm between four games and 11 games. I think he's going to play like six or seven. Yeah. I, but I don't like we don't know what his role is going to be. Back to Skyler. Yeah, back to Skyler. <laughs> um <laughs> I'll just be really honest here. Skyler's a very good quarterback, but his upside isn't as high as like a Jake Waters in my book. Uh, you know, and that's that's a lower quarterback in the minds of K-State fans. That's not Colin Klein, Michael Bishop, Jonathan BZL Roberson. I mean, but I also think Skyler's got a lot more to contribute. I think he can throw the ball better than he has. He, he needs to 
really prove he can deliver the deep ball with accuracy because he didn't do that on Saturday. I mean, he took the one shot into the end zone. It was it was intercepted. It was a nice play, but it was also thrown more to the defender side of the where the ball should have been. So I know Casey doesn't throw it deep a lot, and that might be why, but he's going to have to improve on that. I think when you get Chabaston Taylor back mm-hmm. and you have an improved Malik Knowles because – I'm with you, Fitz, that, that they should not have thrown that ball. But if you have Malik Knowles on the outside running that pattern instead of Phillip Brooks, at least Malik Knowles has a chance to catch the ball. Yeah. And I still think Phillip Brooks really had a chance at that ball, too. So mm-hmm. I think if you put Malik or even Shabashian there or anybody else that's taller than six foot, you have a much better chance at getting that ball. Skyler's best throw of the game, though, is without a doubt – and. To me, it just kind of shows his progression was the, the corner route to Amad or Bebe um, that he caught. I want to say it was – I think it was 17 nothing at the time. Yeah. And Skyler was rolling out to his right. I I broke it down in, in the piece that was up on Tuesday morning. But he, he, he threw it, and it was almost like he was throwing it to the spot. He wasn't throwing it to the guy. And that's something that had, Skyler's had trouble with is instead of throwing it to where he's supposed to be, he's throwing it to where he is now. And that's where you get passes that are caught on the wrong side of the body and maybe in harm's way. He executed that play to a T on the run perfectly right into the spot where and Bebe was covered and he made a great catch but I think those are the type of throws you're going to see him make the 20 yard down the field throws you're not going to see him make the 35 40 yard throws last question of the first half comes from GT cat a similarity between Chris Kleiman and Bill Snyder is how they view how the person the next person needs to be ready at all times however after 59 players saw the field on Saturday just how opposite is the translation of this approach between wow, the two? That's a great question. It is completely different. You've got to be ready, but I'm not going to play you. I'm going to play all my starters so they're exhausted. But that's all right. We've 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 worked out so hard all season long that they're in better shape than the opponent. But by season's end, everyone's breaking down. And Kleiman goes at it like you got to work hard cuz you are going to play. It might be 3 snaps, it might be 5 snaps, but you're going to get on the field and when you're in there you need to have an impact cuz you're fresh. It is very different. It really didn't have an impact on this game visibly. I mean, maybe it did. But I think as we wear on in the season and we get back to getting into a deep deeper into a 12 game season, the way K-State runs guys in and out is really going to pay off. Particularly if they get into injuries, they've got guys that are experienced that can now come in. I I like the way Chris Kleiman does it, but I'll say this. I wouldn't like it as a player. I mean, if you're kicking butt, you want to stay on the field and continue to have your rhythm, particularly on the defensive side, beginning to really understand what they're doing and you're constantly running in and out. I'd get a little frustrated with that, but um, it's working. Do hockey players get frustrated when they get subbed out? Do you I, think? Know, I don't know a single hockey player, so I have no point of reference there. I mean, that's just how I see it, basically. It's just, it's just line changes. You're you're in on the ice for a little bit, and you're going to come out and sit down for a bit. You know, you're going hard, and, you know, at some point you're going to take a break. Well, it's, it's like, okay, you either stay out there, you get tired as heck, and you get exposed, or you can come back on the sideline for a drive. If you're if you're Julius Brents and you start the game and you play two drives in a row and you're starting to get tired because it's 95 degrees outside in case State's playing Nevada, uh, okay, we can throw T. Denson in there and instead of potentially getting burned on a deep route. 
because you're mentally exhausted, you have a fresh body in there where the talent drop-off is maybe a little bit but not extreme. It's, it just helps the team, and you don't get exposed. And so then, you know, that it, it goes – it's a whole – long thing between confidence between keeping people fresh keeping pe- keeping pe- keeping people from getting injured i i think it's perfect because like i talked about in the beginning there's depth and i think saturday showed that the guys the second team is not that far behind the first team no not at all and guys i i, I keep the dogs around for depth in case one of you like pulls a voice muscle is that a muscle Exactly. Yeah, yeah. or has allergies, okay. or has allergies and can't go. Dude can hop up. We just saw a dude in the uh, pre-show warm-ups. We do. We have warm-ups for the show. We all do like tongue twisters, do some light juggling, um, some cardio to get ready for the podcast. But dude was at the mic. He was ready to go. That's what I like about a team. I like it when they're ready to compete. That's it for the first half of this silliness. We'll be back on the other side of this break with more of your questions from Wabash Station as we talk about Kansas State football. And possibly, just possibly, we're going to talk about Zach's uh, thoughts on uh, traveling to Mars. The f***. GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Podcast continues after this short break. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to the Power Cat Questions Podcast, brought to you by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Our segment sponsors are Tanners and the High Low. I should probably check with them, see, see if they're still segment sponsors. That Tanners is. <clears throat> we'll have a new segment sponsor next week. Who knows? We're crazy. We're getting crazy here. Zach informs me he is not properly prepared to talk about manned missions to Mars, so we will address that in a future podcast. Really disappointed in Zach. For not being prepared about planets. Like the, like the moon? Like the moon. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a beautiful, beautiful planet. planet. It's a beautiful planet. <laughs> Oh, man. We continue our discussion of Kansas State beating Stanford. I hope we have some other stuff, too. I don't know. I don't know what the questions are. I'm just the monkey that answers them. We'll talk a little bit into the future. Here we go. Questions from Wabash Station. Ryan Gills Gilbert. Infected Testicle wants to know, Mm. K-State is typically one of the most improved teams between week one and week two of the season. With a solid start, should we expect the improvement between weeks to be less than normal. As I mentioned in my column at Go Powercat on Tuesday, I think what was so strange about this game was, you know, Bill Snyder 2.0 didn't really 
come out and kick teams' butt in the opener. And Chris Kleiman really hasn't done it. What did he do in the first season? Oh, he they killed Bowling Green. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Was that the first game? No, it wasn't the first game. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm pretty sure. So. It was just odd to have a K-State team come out and so handily win a game. Nickel State. Nickel State. Nickel State. Boom. What was the score of that game? They blew them out. I remember. It was a yeah. yeah. So, uh, I mean, to take on a team like Stanford and just kind of toss them aside, I mean, it was never really a game. Once K-State scored and the defense kept stopping Stanford, you're like, this game is a mismatch. So, I, to answer the question, I don't know how they'll respond from playing well. All we've ever seen in the last 10, 15 years of K-State football are generally K-State teams either having playing someone completely overmatched or they don't play well. They hold back so much that they can't play well. So, we'll see. They better play well. I speculated this in the walk and talk, Zach. After seeing Stanford and after studying Southern Illinois is going to be problems, maybe more so than Stanford, because Stanford was running an offense out of the 1980s or something. I don't know what that was. You know, Chris Carlin talked about yeah. Southern Illinois runs a lot of misdirection, a lot of reverses, a lot of gadget plays, a lot of gadget plays. And honestly, about all that Stanford had any luck with were screenplays. Which is kind of a misdirection play. They just didn't have anything to adapt to Kansas State's speed. I don't know. I think Southern Illinois is going to be – they're going to play harder than Stanford did. For whatever reason, it just didn't look like Stanford was playing hard at all. But I think you add in, you know, hopefully a sold-out Bill Snyder Family Stadium. There's going to be some energy there. Everything we've seen, but you take out the Arkansas State game, Chris Clement's teams are usually pretty prepared in the non-conference. So if, if I'm a K-State fan, I'm going to watch this game and understand that there's going to be probably more ups and downs in Stanford. But I do think there will be more improvement in week two. I really do, especially with the penalties. Actually, yeah, maybe with penalties, I don't think there's going to be much. I think that you'll see a little bit of a setback just because of some of the challenges that Southern Illinois brings. And I think that K-State will find out that they struggle at some stuff. And, you know, it might be a week two to week three stuff that they might improve on for Nevada. But I, I don't think this game is by any means in danger of K-State losing it. I, I don't think that. I think that you might see some segments of the game where it just isn't as thorough as what it was against Stanford. I, I think they're in. I'm not going to sit here and say that there's no way K-State loses this game. I mean, look what's gone on across the country with FCS schools. I know. Something that might be worth looking at, and I, I don't I don't have the stats off the top of my, uh, you know, pulled up or anything like that, but I mean, you look at the FCS schools that played last year and did well in the springtime, I'd be curious to see what the overall record against FBS schools was, because it, it, there's definitely some momentum, especially those teams that made the playoffs, some momentum that was built in that spring season. Carryover, yeah. It's the same team. For the most part, it's the same team. Well, I've, I found this intriguing. Now, let's go back to 1982 when Jim Dickey, Kansas State's coach, redshirted a bunch of seniors in 81 so they could be fifth-year guys in 82 because they just didn't have enough good players to redshirt your freshman class. So they were playing everyone. So they took their lumps in 81 and, and loaded up with experienced guys in 82. The pandemic has offered Southern Illinois the opportunity – to load up with super seniors. What did Chris say today? 17? Mm -hmm. Something ridiculous. Yeah, 17, 17 super yep. seniors that are back for a sixth season to play games just like this 
yeah, they're going to be ready. This is why they're back. This and they think they can win a national championship at the FCS level. And according to Chris Kleiman, he would agree with that, that they're good enough to win a national championship. I mean, this team did beat North Dakota State in the spring schedule. They're probably considered to be the one of, if not the favorite, in the Missouri Valley Football Conference. This is a good team. This is as, this is as good as the North Dakota State teams, maybe, that came in. They're very experienced, and there is a good reason to worry. And if Kansas State handles this game like I think they will, then it's another positive sign. Number eight team in the FCS pool. That's all they are. Yeah, I'm eight. really surprised by that. Who's one? Uh, Sam Houston. Like the school or the, the actual guy? The person. <laughs> Bob Alamo. <laughs> <laughs> From Contra Cat, what constitutes success in the passing game this week? If scoring gets out of hand and they still need to throw the ball and get reps, are you letting Skyler fling it all the way to the fourth quarter? Or are you concerned, like some on, some on this board, about player safety and getting to next week? I think you got to throw at least two touchdowns. Yeah, you'd need to see him. And somebody needs to have at least 50 receiving yards. Yeah, uh, and four receptions. Not do spawn. I think there's yeah, and not do not do spawn. Yeah. I think you look at the Stanford game and you think, wow, Malik Knowles had a pretty good game. Well, he took what three jet sweeps. He didn't really have that many catches of a of a pass. There's five receiver catches. There was nine catches in the game. Yeah, and only five of them received. Two were for Deuce. Two were for Matter Baby. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think it's not the, enough. Getting the receivers involved isn't only good for the entire context of the offense and being more diverse. But I think you need to reward these receivers Yeah. after what happened last year with them getting so few catches. You know, if you're the receiver, it's not the fact that the receivers weren't available or playing well. It's because you weren't throwing them the ball. That's the only thing you see there. You want the ball thrown to you. I think they need to get them involved. It had to be in the first half, I would think. I would agree. Because if K-State gets up early, like a lot of people think that they will, you're going to run the ball, right? I think a lot of it, you know, you, you say you ask, what is success in the passing game? Well, I think it's how efficient you are. I don't necessarily think it's how many catches the guys get. If Skylar Thompson goes 12 of 13 for 220 yards and a touchdown, I would consider that to be successful. I would. Yeah, but I... I think you got to have a lot of catches. I think you got to have more than 12. I think especially in the first half and get it done early because this is the one game probably all season that you can count on to hopefully get some experience for guys that really need some experience. And I think this is one where you've got to throw the ball as much as you possibly can because after this game, it's going to be a lot of deuce and then using the, the wide receivers to counter. I think that they should really try getting a lot of looks to guys like Malik Chabash and Philip Brooks, anybody on that depth chart that's going on on the field, get a couple, get a couple catches for each of them. On a side here, that wasn't the first time we've had Philip Brooks in an interview room, but he seemed more put together. He seemed bigger today mm-hmm. on Tuesday when we saw him. I mean, I didn't think he looks so small on the field, and he's not a real tall guy, but he didn't seem small when we saw him on Tuesday. Am I crazy? I, I thought he looked small. Okay. I thought he looks like Deuce. In I thought, Deuce, I thought though, Deuce looked maybe a little bigger than he did, but that's I'm probably wrong. I think Deuce is thicker, but I, I just thought Philip looked a little more put together than I remember. I don't know. Hmm. Next question comes from I like pickles cat. 
Chris Kleiman has struggled against three-man fronts in his time in Manhattan, most notably against West Virginia, Baylor, and Iowa State last year, scoring 73 total points in those five games, which doesn't make much sense. I think maybe he meant games, like three earlier, games. like maybe maybe he meant that, or maybe he meant previous seasons. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, don't anyway. I don't know if I don't know if I think I think Iowa State last year, West Virginia and Baylor, the first two years, Iowa State last year, five games, mm-hmm. maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Anywho, will playing against the odd front in practice help them when they play against it during conference play? Now, this is a really good question, Pickles, because I am curious about this, and I should have asked him. Did his interest in the three-man front start, hey, I want to run it, or hey, how the hell do I solve it? And are those two different, really, in the big scope of things? There's a defensive coach, he finds out how to run it, and then you understand how to solve it. Uh, you know, I... I, I think him studying the three-man front so much can't help but assist K-State to be more able to handle it because you are running against it in practice. He, the coach does have a better understanding of it, of what you're, they're trying to do from that three-man front and where everyone's moving and, and how it's handled. So I think it will help on both sides of the ball being able to run that three-man. I think, I think honestly, Fitz, it's, it's different. Um, K-State – Chris Kleiman in the offseason looked at how do I get my athletes on the field? He saw that there was lots of depth on defense. So what what is a way where I can maximize this depth and get these guys involved in the game? How do I get a system that fits my players? That's why they started to run the 3-3-5. So to answer Pickle's question, I don't necessarily know if Chris Kleiman was – um, saying I can't, I can't, I can't score points against this defense, so I'm going to try and run it. I think that's why he got the. They they decided to run the three three five was to try and maximize their um, production output on defense. But it, what he does ask in the last question will it work? Pract- will practicing against it help? I think for sure it'll help. Well, I no question. Funny about it though, you mentioned the depth. I, for me, their deepest spot on defense, defensive end, and those are the guys that didn't get to play. I mean, you put Pickle out there as a defensive end, and you know, you you, you run like six guys at DN that you think can play, and then all of a sudden, four of them barely play. So I guess Spencer Trussell played a little bit more as the game wore on, but it's just interesting to me. The guys that took off the field have been pretty effective players, so they did run Khalid Duke a few snaps at, at linebacker to get him on the field, which is very interesting if you ask me. And maybe a solution to an ongoing issue there if they can keep him parked in the middle. Mm-hmm. From Jim Jam Trash Slam, who is K-State's <laughs> best wide receiver? I think it's, it, it's got to be Malik Knowles. It I mean, he's the one that's able to do the most things. Everyone else has a role that they can play. Philip Brooks can take that short pass, even though his one pass was down the field, but, and really, you know, kind of create broken field situations. So Sebastian kind of goes deep and, you know, is your big target, but Malik can do both of those things. I mean, and honestly, if Malik Knowles is your best receiver, you're not great at receiver. I mean, I like Malik, but, as the lead guy, he hasn't shown me that. You know, he's he's only given us little glimpses, and, and uh, some real consistency in that area would really help. I think K State's best receiver is Malik Knowles, and and Fitz, you would probably be better than this, but I'm curious what you guys think. What is a who is a player that's come through K State that reminds you of Malik Knowles? Because I know uh, 
I see Malik Knowles and I see the the slant routes, I see the curl routes, I see the 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 possession receiver, kind of like Chris Harper. And that's I, what I was going to say. And Chris I don't Harper. know if that's necessarily fair to Malik, but I think that he can have a Chris Harper level production if he gets thrown the ball. That's because I think he has a skill set to do it. Well, the person that it would most remind me of, and this is a really high bar to set, is Quincy Morgan. I mean, there's there's six two strong. Malik's probably a little bit thinner than Quincy was. He is, but yeah, you know the the route that I always remember Quincy running to great effect was a drag route across the middle, where he kind of delay the pattern and then come across. I think that's something Malik could really shine at. He makes the catch, and then if he has separation from his guy at that point, it's, it's really difficult to stop him. I think it's tough to say after one game because if you're going to just base it off of catches and what they did catching the ball, I'd say Phillip Brooks. But, I mean, I don't think that's necessarily the right answer because you're going to need to see more more stuff. If if Malik's just, you know, if his, if Malik's best plays are just him doing jet sweeps and Phillip Brooks is the one that's catching the ball, running down the field with it, the target in the end zone, whether the ball should be thrown at him or not, I feel like he may be the best one. But time will tell. Uh, real quick, can Philip Brooks be Tremaine Thompson? That's a pretty good comparison. Because that's who I see when I see Philip Brooks. And maybe that's because I compared <laughs> Malik Knowles, Chris Harper, Tremaine Thompson, Philip Brooks. That was my era when I first fell in love with, you know, K-State football. But Tremaine Thompson listed a 5'8". Philip Brooks, what they say, 5'10"? Is what he's listed at? Mm-hmm. He can be your Brandon Banks. Yeah. That's a pretty good yeah. comparison mm-hmm. right there. Maybe not as fast as Brandon. Brandon was had a rocket in his butt. <laughs> a long... I was the guy that got kind of graphic, folks. I'm sorry. A long Canadian football career? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think he's still playing. He is. Wow. He is. Great cup. From Ohio Power Cat, Jacardier Wright looked good on his only carry. Will we ever see more of him? I hope so. I... You know, I feel bad for Joe Irvin. It, that wasn't a – I don't know that that was a reflection on him at all. It's like every time he got the ball, there was no blocking. Every time. It was, it was kind of interesting to me. I like those three guys. I think they – I think that will work out well for Kansas State as the season progresses. Didn't see the inverted diamond. I don't think we'll see it this week. No no need to show it until you really need it, but they'll they'll pull it out here pretty soon. Jacardier writes the best blocking running back they have on the team. Really? I fully believe that. He's extremely physical, so if K State ever gets in a situation to where they need that guy to stay in and pass block, I think Jacardier Wright's gonna get a lot of snaps. Last year it was Harry Trotter. The year before it was Harry Trotter, and we don't have Harry Trotter anymore. So, yeah, I think Jacardier Wright's going to see the field more, but I don't know how much he's actually going to get to carry the football just because of how much they like Joe Irvin and obviously Deuce Vaughn. Yep. I think him not getting very many carries is just a symptom of they ran 45 plays on offense. Yeah, you know, I think if this week, hopefully it goes the way you hope it goes and they get a run, you know, 60, 70 plays. Maybe he'll get some more carries and some opportunities there. But 45 plays is crazy. It's nothing. That's, it's like 11 plays a quarter. It's, it was a weird game, man. It, it was really so was. weird. It just it seems so sleepy, I guess. Yeah. That's, that's how I describe the game. It just You're inside. It's a nice temperature. K-State's rolling, and there you go. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was just K-State strange. wins. 
Yep. It was a strange, strange game. It, net, once K-State got up 14 nothing, I never felt threatened by Stanford in that game. Oh. And I ran into – I was up, you know, between possessions, and Kenny Lanou from K-State said, I feel like you just got a field goal. This game is completely out of reach, and that's exactly what happened. They got a field goal, and it's like, okay, this game is over, and Stanford knew it. And Dave, poor David Schaff on his scores, and he goes, oh, let's kick it. <laughs> oh, now I better pretend like I care and try to rally here. It was just the whole thing was strange. He knew the game was over. Cole, you ready for this one? Oh, I'm, oh no. I'm ready. Last question comes from KSU Man. Do you think Will Howard will play this week, <laughs> or do they try to save him for four conference games? And from Wildcat Pilot 88, do we see a late series of Jake Rubley this week? Yes and yes. Mm. 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 So you think it's going to be a blowout? Thank you, Daphne. Um, yeah, I, I don't know about Jake Rubley. I don't know if the game will be in the blowout stage to the level where you get a third-string quarterback in. It's going to be intriguing. If he, Let's not this, forget Jaron Lewis. He might, I was he might say, be the yeah. guy that comes in and plays say. mop up, not to burn a game. Yeah. You're going to have Jaron Lewis and Jake Rubley both play. No Will Howard. That's my prediction. <laughs> That's my prediction. It'll go Skyler, Jaron, Jake. I think Will Howard will get it in the first half. I really do. I hope we write all of these down. So I, why K State was up twenty four to seven? There was two minutes left in the game. Why did Will Howard not go in? Because he's, he's everything he said to be. Exactly he didn't right. need to. He didn't need to. He didn't need to, but they didn't need to burn the game because I still think they hope to play him four or fewer. That's why. I feel like if you don't – if you redshirt Will Howard and Jake Rubley – I know this is getting way down the line. If you redshirt Will Howard and Jake Rubley, you're setting yourself up for failure because one of those guys will no longer be in the program. Well, that's all right. Let them compete and get better. Win. I I think they are trying to get him to four. And you think about it, if you try to focus Will Howard in on four big games that you want him to play in, and then in mop, you never use him in mop-up duty. Never no, never use him. He doesn't need that. He, he's gotten those snaps last year. That, that's where you put in Lewis and Rubley at that point, a mop-up, and just save Will Howard. Yeah, I think they'd like to save that year and make sure he gets a redshirt in. Mm. So if Howard only plays against OU, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Texas, why is he not playing in every game? If he's that good. For the if long he makes term. That much yeah. Money. But if he's for, that good and he's going to make you a, a big difference in those games, why not play every game? That's where I'm just confused. Well, I, because he's not considered an upgrade over Skyler. I think a, then don't play more than four games. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I don't think they – I think that that'd be the ideal unless Skyler gets banged up. Well, and that's mm-hmm. kind of where I was going. And I don't necessarily think banged up and injured are the same thing. If Skylar Thompson is facing nagging injuries, they are not going to have him out there trying to run the football because right. they want to save him. Well, Jaron Lewis can't bring that skill set. Jake Rubley can't bring that skill set. There's only one other quarterback on the roster that can bring that skill set, and it is a huge part of their offense. I, I really think that Will Howard will be involved in the game at some point this week, and if he doesn't get in, it's because he didn't need to get in. Mm-hmm. But I, Fitz, you think they're going to redshirt him? I personally don't. I, think I don't think gonna they're going to get it accomplished. Yeah, I don't think it'll be. Po- I, I think, think they'll try. A- they could. They could very well try, and they're going to get that six or seven game mark. Right. I, I don't think they're going to be able to accomplish it, but I think they're still holding on to that hope that they'll blow out Southern, they'll blow out Nevada, and now we're nine games away from the end of the season. We haven't played him yet. Maybe we can. I don't know. I. 
I'm not sure that's going to work out that way because you're right. Quarterbacks get banged up. And if he gets banged up and has to come out a series and early in, let's pick a game here, TCU. You got to put Will Howard in. You have to put the guy that gives you the best chance to win in. Right. If it's early in the game, sure. you got to put him in. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're going to be able to accomplish it, but I think they're holding on to the hope that they can. We'll see. We'll see. But they do have some options there. The four game rule really affords them some opportunities. Between those three other quarterbacks, well, Lewis has already burned his yeah. redshirt. So, I mean, you've got eight games between Howard and Rubley that you can get in without burning a year of eligibility of a quarterback. That's pretty incredible. And then he supplement him with Lewis, maybe coming in and mop-up duty in a game like Saturday if they get to that point. You're in a pretty good spot. Then again, if you really think Will Howard is going to be needed to play in a big game later on, you better get him some snaps somewhere yep. along the line. It's it's tough. It's tough to figure out what they're going to do. That's it for this edition of the Powercat Questions Podcast. We appreciate you listening here at GoPowerCat.com. And wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google. What else we got there, Zach? Uh, you named the main ones. Okay, I named the main ones. That's it. And then uh, if you're watching our videos on YouTube, make sure you subscribe over there. And if you're not subscribing to GoPowerCat.com and you're listening to this podcast, imagine the VIP insights that you're not getting from this podcast that we're putting up on the site. A lot of great VIP coverage for our subscribers. Appreciate you listening, and we appreciate The Fridge for being back on board for another year of the PowerCat Podcast. Thank you for listening to the PowerCat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. Thank you.